My screens went, ah, there we go. I don't know how it got there, but it... Oh, you know what? I bet this thing in my pocket just started walking on me. Well, there we go. Okay, uh... Wow, it was nice to have the piano this morning. Yep. We missed you. Yeah, oh, hey, I didn't know hear one. I, yeah. It's just wonderful to have it. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Uh, that song, uh, Tell Me the Story of Jesus, we've said this before, that we're in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the story of Jesus. Yep. I was teaching, this is probably 20 years ago, I was teaching a class, and it was, I don't remember, it was in the Old Testament, we had a new believer in class, uh, we became good friends, uh, but he was brand new, and he says, he came after class and he says, I'm going to have to switch to a different class, he said, because uh, I'm a new believer and I really need to learn about Jesus, and I, I think I should be in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, and I said, well... Let me, let me explain a little bit to you about the Old Testament. I says, you can't turn a page in the Old Testament without bumping into Jesus someplace. It's all the story of Jesus. And uh, last week, we were in Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to be there again today, by the way. Uh, I was going to move on, but I kind of left you on a cliffhanger with that 7-7. Seven, seven. And uh, my wife was asking me questions at home, and I says, you know what, I'm going to go back. And we're going to finish this. I've been kind of skirting around the issue and, and tiptoeing around it, but today we're going to delve into it head first. But uh, the, the 70th seven, the angel told Daniel, 77s have been decreed for your people and his temple and your, and your holy city. So... A lot of people think, well, this doesn't pertain to the church then. It only pertains to Israel. But then it says, after the 69 sevens, the anointed one will arrive. Well, now you've made it about the church. Because when the anointed one arrives, it starts a new era. It starts the church age, right? So the church, yes, in Daniel's day, it wasn't, wasn't a thing yet. It wasn't even probably foreseen by Daniel but it was by God, by the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to look at that 77. Uh, when you hear the words, the tribulation, what do you think of? Turmoil. Well, what period of time? A seven-year tribulation? Does that yeah. kind of ring a bell with you? That, that always comes to our mind, the seven-year tribulation. And I, I kind of think that we should just call it a seven-year because it's part tribulation and partly God's wrath. It, it starts out, uh, in, in fact, most uh, theologians, especially the pre-tribulation uh, theologians, will tell you that the first half of the tribulation is basically peaceful. And then it gets hot towards the end. When Antichrist comes, he'll confirm a covenant with many. That's a covenant of peace. And then it gets deteriorates and deteriorates, whether it's the first half or first part of the first half or whatever. But anyway, we're going to look a little closer at these things today and let's see if my thing works now. Nope. 
if you turn them on, they work better. Let's try that. Yeah, there we go. Okay, just a little review here. Uh, we've looked at three major uh, visions. This Daniel chapter 2 was a vision given to Nebuchadnezzar, and it ended with the rock, not hewn by human hands, destroying all of the worldly kingdoms. And an eternal kingdom is set up. Daniel chapter 7, this is where we get this term, the time, times, and half time. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 was the four kingdoms, and out of the fourth kingdom came a little horn, which was the Antichrist. And it says here, uh, he shall try to change the times and the law. And I think Satan's been doing this since the beginning. He's trying to change God's timing. He's trying to force his hand. He's trying to make it come to an end. But uh, it says the saints will be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half time. Now this is where your mid-tribulationists get the mid-tribulation rapture. Uh, we'll, we'll explain the four different views of the rapture here in a little bit. Because the first three and a half years, the saints will be attacked. Okay. Uh, the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Uh, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints. Here again we have an eternal kingdom being set up at the end of the vision. Uh, chapter 8, this is, uh, the angel said, Look, I'm making known to you what shall happen in the later time of the indignation at the appointed time the end shall be. Or some translations at the appointed time of the end. Uh, now here... This was, this kingdom, the final kingdom in this one, was not the Roman kingdom. It was the Greeks, right? Do you remember that? And the little horn rose out of the Greek kingdom. But the angel said, what will happen in the later times at the appointed time of the end. So it's, this is where we said we have a near and a far fulfillment. And the near fulfillment was Antiochus Epiphanes, who... Uh, he was a type of the Antichrist. And he, he was anti-Christ. He was anti-God. At this point, he couldn't have been the Antichrist because Christ had not yet been revealed to us. But he was definitely anti-God. He was anti-anything that was God. Uh, he reigned havoc on the Jewish nation. And by his own admission, if you if you read the, uh, the account in the Maccabees and... Uh, I explained that last week. Have you heard of the Maccabees? Okay, good. A lot of people haven't. Uh, it's good history. It's not scripture. It's never quoted by any of the New Testament writers. That's probably one of the biggest reasons why it's left out of scripture. It's never quoted. But according to the Maccabees, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes heard about what was going on in Jerusalem, that they had cleansed the temple, and he was mad, and he headed for Jerusalem. And he said, I'm headed there to kill every Jew. He was going to go there and totally wipe them out. But God struck him dead on his way. So he was totally anti-God. He is a very typical or type of the Antichrist to come. Uh, now, we want to be careful that we don't 
when Antichrist comes, if he doesn't meet some of the criteria that we saw in Antiochus to say, well, this can't be the Antichrist, because the near fulfillment and the far fulfillment don't always match up. They don't mesh together. Uh, when, <laughs> I like to put everything in a little box and make sure it's all you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, like an outline, that's great for me. I'm a little CDO. You know what CDO is? That's OCD in alphabetical order. So I like everything lined up. And it doesn't always line up. So, but uh, he will destroy many in their prosperity. The King James Version says, through peace he will destroy many. Uh, and remember, he'll set up a covenant. He'll, he'll, he'll uh, he will, uh, enter into a covenant with many, and that would be the covenant of peace with the nation of Israel, is what, is, what we mostly believe. And again, at the very bottom there, it says, for it refers to many days in the future. And then Daniel chapter 9. Seventy weeks are determined for your people. Uh, and the seventy weeks is to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. And I wish Bruce was here so I could apologize because I looked it up and there is, I said, there's no record of anything being anointed other than people. They actually anointed the tabernacle. God commanded them to anoint the tabernacle, but not the temple. I don't know why the tabernacle, probably because it wasn't a permanent structure and they moved it and they were to anoint it when they set it up again. But the temple was not anointed. It was commissioned by offering sacrifices to God. Uh, so, but I still believe in the context the most holy here refers not to the most holy place but the most holy one which is Jesus would, would you hold that Okay. Uh, from, the, from the going forth of the command restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah the Prince there shall be seven weeks and sixty two weeks there's the sixty nine weeks that we talked about and then after the sixty two weeks that would be the second. The six, that's actually after 69 weeks because we got 7 plus 62. And after the 62, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. This would be the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, the end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Here again, now we're talking about that final period. And these are things that have not yet happened. Uh, there, there is a group, as we call them preterists. Uh, there's, there's preterists and partial preterism. And the preterist says all of this has been fulfilled. N- nothing to see here for us. It's all been fulfilled. I'm not, I'm not able to go there. Al? Yes? The end of it shall be with a flood. Um, didn't God say that he would never... Okay, uh, yeah, very good point, Doug. The end of it shall come like a flood, isn't it? Where where am I? Shall be with a flood. Yeah, I I don't believe it's the flood like the uh, like that. I think it means it's coming like a flood. Oh, just like. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be over. Bam! It's going to be quick. It's going to come like that suddenly. Uh, I, I, I think that's the uh, yeah, the figure, meaning there. Figuratively. I'm sorry. Figuratively, figuratively, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and here it is. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. So now we go back to uh, 
the three and a half years, the time times and a half time. And I never did point this out, but the time times and a half time, why do we consider those three and a half years, not three and a half days, not three and a half whatevers? I believe because right in the book of Daniel we have a precedence. Uh oh. They're looking for you, Carl. <laughs> They're looking for you. It's a silver alert. We have an emergency. Because we have a precedence right in the book of Daniel. Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar went off his rocker, Daniel said, It'll be for how long? Seven times. And we know from history that it was seven years. So we have, we have precedence right in the book of Daniel in the, in the Aramaic, because we're using the Aramaic words there. The Aramaic word is times, and they use it for a year. So, so back in chapter 7, the time, times, and a half time. Okay. Now, this is where we ended last week. Uh, until the anointed one the ruler comes, which happened in... 26 to 38 A.D. I'm not going to try to nail it down to a to a date and month because I don't think it's possible. My OCD wants it there, but not going to happen. So I have to live with it. Uh, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That's the period that we're going to talk about today. That one seven, and that's where I left you hanging last week. And uh, we're going to get into it a little deeper. Uh, that seven years has been called the tribulation most often. Uh, also the Great Tribulation, also the Day of the Lord. I think these are three separate things. They're not, they're not synonymous. I think they are three separate parts of this seven year, which may not even be seven years. Uh, if you take the, the uh, 2,300 days, or 2,300 mornings and evenings, that's six years, three months, and uh, so many days. And if that if it happens to be... Uh, <laughs> if, 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 and if Jesus said those days will be shortened, that could possibly be part of it. Uh, so he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of the temple he'll set up an abomination that causes desolation. Daniel talked about that. Jesus talked about that. When Jesus talked about it, he said the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So Jesus validated Daniel as a prophet uh, until he set up the abomination, until the end that decreed is poured out on him. And there again, we could use that poured out or like a flood. It's going to come suddenly. The numbers and everything can be manipulated Mm -hmm. to say about anything you want. And I think God put it in there like that so we could not figure it out. Do you you see what I'm saying? It's just trust him. Here it's coming. Uh, It's going to be a while. But look at all the effort that has been put into the numbers. Oh, yeah. The yeah. numbers. I mean, you hear about it all the time. I've added them up and I've done this and it's, you know, whatever. So it, it's, 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 it's caused a puzzle. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So the word rapture, you may have heard, and, and, and you heard right, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Never. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's 
it's, well, here it is, right here. It's the English word rapture is taken from the Latin word rapio, uh, which is used in the Latin Vulgate to translate the Greek word harpazo, which a lot of our translations translate caught up. Uh, and it's used in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. So the only time that this word rapio or harpazo or rapture could be used would be in that one verse. Not that, that the Bible said it, that let your pastor say this, it's final. You don't have to believe it, it's true, whether you believe it or not. So it's there, we don't have to cross, or uh, what do you call that, proof text it, because we believe it. Okay, But that's where the word rapture comes from. There's other theological terms that we use that are not in the scriptures right. too. So, uh, here are three different views, and these are the three, probably the, if, if you do a search, these are the three that will come up most often. And it's the pre-tribulation, the mid-tribulation, and the post-tribulation. Uh, Daniel's 7, 70th 7, or the tribulation. And you can see here that uh, the pre-tribulation rapture view is that the church, all believers will be raptured out prior to the tribulation. I like that. But I, but I can't quite wrap my head around it. There's too many problems with it. Uh, the mid-tribulation view, if this was the only option, I would probably lean towards that one. Uh, because there it says, we're going to suffer tribulation. Jesus told us we'd suffer tribulation, but we will not suffer God's wrath. So the mid-tribulation view there, I think, is probably a little closer to what I would go with. Post-tribulation, I can't go there because believers are not going to suffer God's wrath. That I, that I firmly believe. Now, this is a controversial one. Although not as controversial as, as it might seem. In fact, the pre-trib rapture never really came into use or discussion until the 1800s, wasn't it? Prior to that, uh, it, it, there was there's no, no pre-trib rapture view. Uh, I wasn't around during that time. You were? (laughs) I've often thought about that pre-trib. And uh, one of the things I think about is the same thing we talk about. uh, Oh, just say the prayer. Just say the prayer and you'll be saved. You know, fire insurance. Um, Fire insurance. You know, it's almost as if there was movement to, like, get everybody on board. And it's almost like a scare tactic. We'll save you from all this if you just did this. And I, and I see that we see that in evangelism today. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, but that I'm supposing that could be why that came into being too, to uh, kind of coach people along. <clears throat> just think, we this is coming, but you can be spared of all that if you, you know. Yeah, part of the fire and insurance. That philosophy yeah. when Christ talks about. And I often say, why would you want to be a born-again believer willingly when you know you're going against the grain of the world? Well, that, that's right. And to say that the church we raptured out prior to any tribulation, what are we going to say to those people? That, and pastor brings them up every Sunday. We pray for the persecuted church. There are believers around the world being persecuted to death, uh, tortured. Uh, to death, and this has been going on for centuries. Uh, in the in the first century, stand by. 
In the first century, uh, the Caesar used to burn Christians, wrap them in uh, skins, and burn them at his garden parties. So this this persecution of Christians is nothing new, and uh, for us to think that, yeah, we're going to be totally exempt from it, I think, is a little presumptuous. Samuel? So I read an article recently that said uh, the hometown preacher of rapture theory came out of uh, some church on the south coast of England in the 1880s, and it really wasn't well received, and it was kind of seen as, uh, I think the article suggested it really wasn't well received by most of it. It was so problematic, everyone saw it. And it never took off in England until it transmuted over to the U.S. with the Schofield Bible. And when the Schofield Bible was put together, it was the first commentary. And the Schofield Bible heavily, heavily led towards the preacher of rapture position and basically only called out that as the one and only option. At that point in time, uh, the article that I was reading suggested that was where it really took off was in the U.S. with the printing of the Schofield Bible. But it wasn't until the 20s with the uh, progressive movement that really... So the, uh, you know, the, the rise of the Moody's, and that was kind of when that second generation came in, that they really started heavily pushing it. And so it was all the ministers that were retiring and were replaced by the ones that had been educated by the new bourgeois, you know, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the elite, if you want to call it, that were, were so smart because they were intellectual, that the rapture got pushed more and more mainstream in the, by the 20s and 30s, it became kind of the, the replacement of uh, post millennialism which was the default position before that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting, and it, you know, and what what I don't understand, I guess, is there's a lot of theologians who've studied a lot more than me, and, and they're a lot smarter than me, and they hold to the pre-trib view. So, if you hold to the pre-tribulation rapture, you're in good company. But if you want to be right, then no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you'd rather be right than in good company. Uh, so. I, I think that one of the things that's, that's important for us to note is when we, when we consider the catching up of the church to be with the Lord in the air, there are some things that are clearly spelled out in Scripture. One, we will be caught up. Okay. Number two, there will be a tribulation. There will be, thirdly, a time of God's wrath. And where all of that exactly Falls because there, there are, with all four of these main positions, there are questions that we just cannot answer. And I, I think that there are, there are many, uh, for example, even like R.C. Sproul, who was all millennial, and John MacArthur often shared pulpit space together. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a good point. And, and it wasn't a point whereby we were going to, or where they were going to break fellowship with one another. And, and I think part of that does come from a, maybe a misunderstanding of Titus chapter 2, uh, where, okay. he, where he says, uh, looking and waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, which is often taken to be that, that, the rapture. The pre-trib rapture. But, but the blessed hope is not the rapture. The blessed hope is the return of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he is going to appear. And when when that becomes our focus, not the timing of when we will leave this earth to be with him, I think that it allows for some flexibility in some of these positions, again, without having a major fallout over them. Right. And, and that's a good point. And I was going to point this out, too, that all of these positions have their weaknesses. 
and and if, if you want to just go ahead and, and do some some research, you'll find there's. If you go to a pre-tribulation, they'll point out all the weaknesses of the of the pre-wrath. The pre-wrath will point out all the weaknesses of the pre-tribulation. And 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 most it, a lot of times they build up a straw man. You know what I mean? Uh, a guy that doesn't exist, and then they tear him apart. Be careful of that. And I I'm not I'm trying not to do that. Uh, but there are weaknesses in the, in in this uh, pre-wrath position. Although this is the position that I think has the most merit, Pastor. Uh, one, one final point here, and I'm going to be pointing this out in Revelation 6. Okay. What does it matter at the end of the day? That's really what we need to consider. Yeah. Because if, let's say that the pre-trib rapture is correct, and we do get caught up and we are taken out of any possible tribulation here in America and across the entire world where all, all true Christians are, are, are taken out of here and we are teaching something else it won't really matter but if let's say that the pre-wrath position is correct and we're not teaching the people to be prepared for the tribulation the tribulation is going to catch a lot of people off devastate them. And I would rather err on the side of caution than, and to be prepared mm -hmm. than to assume otherwise. Yeah. It plays off what Mike was saying about why it's popular. Because it is attractive. I like it. So it, it is an attractive position. Uh, and and it, it's not a salvation issue. You're, you're not going to go to hell if you believe the wrong view of the tribulation. Samuel... Can I say the correct interpretation is pan-millennialism? Pan-millennialism. Yeah. It'll all pan out in God's timing. Yeah, I, well, actually, I say I'm, I'm, I'm pan-trib. It's all going to pan out in the end, and I'm pro-millennial. I'm for the millennium. So, but, yeah, you're right. Uh, but, still, it, it's there. It's the elephant in the room. We're going to talk about it. Uh, now, uh, this is, this is one of the big points of the pre-tribulationist view. This is basically their scripture, their, their number one scripture that argues that we will be raptured out prior to the tribulation. Uh, for God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I agree 100% with that statement. That's where we divide the tribulation, the great tribulation, and the wrath of God. That's why the pre-wrath view to me is correct. So we're both right, except I think they're, they're, they're just not interpreting the whole seven years correctly. Now, I've read, and uh, boy, some of them can really make some good arguments for the pre-trib. Uh, however, Christians will be persecuted, and I'm not going to proof text this. This is just one text. There's many more. Uh, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So Jesus taught it. It's, it's more than one time in the scriptures that he's warned us and cautioned us that we will have tribulation in the world. Now this would be, and, and I'm not 100% on these. These are the, these are the, uh, the seven seals. This would be a pre-wrath view. Uh, the numbers one through seven are the seven seals. And then we have the covenant. He will, 
he will, in the, uh, for one seven, he will confirm a covenant with many. There's the covenant. The midpoint, that's where he breaks the covenant. And then these are in the seven-year period. Uh, you notice it says three and a half, 1,260 days, three and a half, 1,260 days. I explained the, uh, the uh, what's it called, the prophetic year theory. That would be two groups of 1,260 days. The prophetic year is, uh, they believe that the Jews had a 360-day calendar, and apparently they believe they never adjusted it, but they did adjust it. They adjusted it every couple of years, so their sacrifices, their holy days, everything would line up with the solar years. So they weren't ignorant and had a 360-day year and just happy. No, they adjusted it, just like we do it every four years by adding one day. They did it every... uh, two to three years, and they'd add however many days they needed to get us get them back on the solar calendar. Uh, so let's take a look at this a little closer. Uh, Jesus left the temple, and he's walking away. This is Matthew 24. I'm going to compare Matthew 24 and Revelation chapter 6 because I think they parallel each other. We probably won't get through this, but we'll finish it next week. Uh, so, Jesus left the temple. He's walking away. And his disciples come up to call his attention to the building. If you look at Luke and Mark's account of this, uh, the, uh, the disciples were pointing out the magnificence of the temple. They said, look at the size of these stones. Look at the architecture. They were, they were talking about the beauty of the temple. And Jesus said, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth, not one stone will be left on another Everyone will be thrown down. And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately. They asked him the $50,000 question. Tell us, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus gives them what's known as the Olivet Discourse. Now this is contained in Matthew, Luke, and Mark. Matthew is the most full account of it. That's why I'm using Matthew. But Luke and Mark also have it. I guess I have to pick on them a little bit. The pre-tribulation view is that this does not apply to the church. This was given to the nation of Israel. So the, the Olivet Discourse does not apply to the church. And they argue that Matthew was written to the Jews. I agree. Matthew's gospel was written to the Jewish people. Luke was written to the Gentiles, definitely, Right? And he contains this. Mark was also written to the Gentile. And he, he has this in it. So that argument falls apart there. So we come to Matthew 24 and Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6 starts out with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Who has never heard of those guys, right? Now, what was John told to do? And who is the book of Revelation written to? Seven churches. Written to the seven churches. And he's told, listen, he says, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And he names them. So the book of Revelation is written to the church. Okay? And when you see the parallel between Revelation and Matthew, you have to say, no, Matthew's written to the church as well. So, uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. 
I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals, then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. He was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Uh, remember, John said, or Jesus told John, write what you see. He saw a lamb. I had a guy in, in my class one time say, no, a lamb doesn't have hands. How could he open up a scroll? So being very helpful, I said, well, have you seen Veggie Tales? <laughs> so... The, the lamb. John's writing what he saw. Don't try to figure it out, okay? Now, this rider on a white horse, if you read earlier, some of the earlier commentaries, and see, even some today will say that this is Christ coming with the gospel. And uh, the only thing similar between this rider and Christ is the white horse, in my opinion. Uh, and another thing that you'll read is the rider held a bow, so he didn't have any arrows. Well, come on now. If I said he's got a gun, you'd say, oh, no problem. Arrows are, are assumed when you say bow, just like ammunition is assumed when you say he's got a gun, right? And if you do a search in the Old Testament, you will find 53 verses that talk about soldiers going out to battle with bows. No mention of arrow. So... I'm not going to make a point out of the fact that he doesn't have arrows. I think they're assumed. Another one is he was given a crown. This is a Stephanos, not a diadem. A Stephanos is a laurel wreath that they gave to the uh, athletes at the games when they won. So he's given a crown, a victor's crown. And he rode out to conquer, been on conquest. Uh, now... Uh, remember uh, Daniel chapter 25 and I've, got, I've quoted the King James here and by peace shall destroy many he shall stand up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken without hand and then even in Revelation 13 it talks about another beast coming out of the earth that had horns like a lamb but spoke like a dragon I believe this is the Antichrist and Jesus said answered unto the disciples, and he says, Take heed that no one deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And that's happening even today. And so Jesus is saying, this, this is going to happen. Stand by. Don't, don't be alarmed. Many will come. But there is one who's coming, and we saw that in Daniel chapter 7 and 8, the one who will come and speak against the Most High. And then he opened the, when he opened the second seal, I heard a second living creature say, Come and see, another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. So another one is released, and that would be another point I forgot to mention on the first one, is who is doing the releasing and who was released. So you got the rider on the white horse. If you say that's Christ, well, Christ just released himself. He's the one who opened the seal and he released himself. Nobody has to release Jesus. He's, he's the king of kings. He, uh, 
he's at the will of the Father, but Jesus now is doing the releasing. So that's another argument against him being that. The, uh, the, okay, uh, Matthew says, And you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So this could be the beginning of the seven years, and I believe it is the beginning of the seven years. And you'll hear later, Jesus is going to call this the birth pains. This is just the beginning. And when he says the end is not yet, or must come to pass, but the end is not yet, he's talking about the day of the Lord. The first part of the tribulation is not the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord comes later. Uh, When he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius... And three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. We're talking about famine now, uh, food shortages. Uh, a denarius was considered a day's pay, and a quart of wheat was considered a day's worth of food. So you can be able to feed one person on one day's salary. You got a family of three. You're probably going to have to not eat wheat. You're probably going to have to eat barley. It's a rougher food. It's not, it doesn't have the nutrition value of wheat, but it'll get you by. And I think this part about do not harm the oil and the wine is talking about the finer foods, the, the caviar, the lobster. That's going to be plentiful because the rich want it. The rich and powerful can have what they want. But for those who live on salaries day by day, it's going to be famine. And Jesus said, and there will be famines. Uh, food rationing will make it possible for government, governments to gain near total control over the people. Uh, you start rationing food, rationing gas. We haven't started rationing gas yet, but uh, I remember back in, I think it was 75 was uh, when we had gas rationing. And people were, do you, you remember it? I thought it was around 74. Yeah. yeah. It started in 73, though, because yeah. I was graduating from high school, yeah. and it was just starting. It was I remember I was, it might have been earlier in 70, yeah, it might have been, because I was driving truck at the time, and I'd have to stop at multiple stations, multiple truck stops to fill up, because they'd only sell me 25 gallons at a whack, and then go to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that probably was then. So, but but at any rate, uh, we've seen the rationing and the gas. This will this will be greater. It'll be rationing in the food. And uh, at the beginning of COVID, do you remember going to the store and the shelves were empty? Uh, I remember paying ten ten dollars for a, uh, a dozen eggs. That was in Dutch Harbor, Alaska, where they're normally only six dollars a dozen. But, but yeah, so, and, and and when I went there, the shelf was empty, and the guy went in the back, and he found some eggs for me. So so we've seen it in a small scale. 
We've seen how it can happen, so not to be surprised when it does happen. Now, if you control the energy in food, you control everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You control everything. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of a fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I look and behold a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, hunger, with death, kill with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So now it's ramping up. Now we're getting beyond tribulation, we're getting into the, the, the great tribulation. This is probably past the time when the Antichrist has set up his, uh, his uh, abomination of desolations in the temple. He's broke the covenant. So we're probably somewhere towards the middle or towards past the midpoint of the, of the seven years. And there will be pestilence and earthquakes, Jesus said in, uh, in Revelation. You see how this is paralleling? And, uh, but Jesus says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Again, the beginning of sorrows, Satan's pouring out his wrath, not God. All of this stuff that we've seen up till now is not God metting out uh, judgment on the earth. He's just allowing Satan to be Satan. He's, you know, uh, there's two kinds of people that say, Thy will be done, and then there's the ones that God says, okay, have thine own will. And this is where God says, okay, this is what you want, here you go. Just like uh, when Israel wanted a king, God says, not a good idea. They said, well, we want a king. Okay, here you go, and they got Saul. They picked the, the biggest, the brightest, the best looking guy, and he turned out to be a, not that good. <laughs> but nothing like this guy is going to be. Uh, this this will be the I, I believe too that this will be the one world government. When 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 the four horsemen were released, were they released to Satan's control? In other words, they were released from heaven, but they came under Satan's control to do what they were going to do. I believe so. Yes. If you if you're not controlled uh, if you're not controlled by God, you're controlled by Satan. Well, these these horsemen are not in these horsemen are not in heaven. Yeah. John John says that he sees the book being open or the seals being open, and then he looks and sees it's a separate event. Uh, the seal is broken, and then each one of these events transpire. And I believe that it is the releasing, the gradual releasing of the power that Satan has over the earth at that time. Oh, so, so when you're saying uh, not God's will, but Satan's will. <clears throat> so <clears throat> they were a part of Satan all along, but they were restrained. He's on a leash. He's on a leash. Yep, and his leash, just, they just keep lengthening the leash each okay. time here. No, I don't know. Okay. I think God is always in control of everything, but He's given a chance to Satan to go with all his kind of business and all his wrath, all he wants before he goes 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like all the persecution today that's going on today, the Christians that are being killed. How, do you, how else do you say it? But God is permitting it. He's not doing it, but he's allowing it. And I, mean, I think you see part of the restraint here in this particular one because there is one-fourth of the world that will be dead yeah. at the end of this particular seal. Why not a third or half or two-thirds? So there is a restrainer, yeah. There is a restrainer because Zechariah, for example, says that there is another Holocaust that is coming and it will actually destroy two-thirds of all the Jewish people during this time. Two-thirds of the Jewish people. Yeah. And they're a small population. So a quarter of the world's population, so along with. Yep. That'd be two billion people yep. will, dis- will be killed. Two billion. Something like three quarters of the world's Jewish population is in the U.S. Is here in the U.S.? Yeah, there's quite a few here. Yeah, we have more in this country than... Oh, oh, of the Jewish population. If you actually look at those, that, if you just strictly look at those that are Jewish... And we ignore the, the missing ten tribes. It's three quarters of them reside in the U.S. Yeah, I've heard that it's it's fast uh, that Jerusalem is now starting to catch up with that. That is close. I don't know population wise. It's still it's still not the the highest population of the Jews, though. Huh? No, most most of them are here. I mean, New York. Okay. Okay. Now the fifth seal. Uh, this one here, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who would be killed as they had been was completed. So who are these people now? Where did they come from? Well, they died because of their testimony, because they'd maintained a testimony to the Lord. So when, when the rider on the white horse comes, and I believe he's the Antichrist, and he sets up a one-world government, and he starts making policies, who's not going to bow to him? The Christians. And... I'm going to use this example. Uh, who gets blamed for COVID? The unvaccinated. The unvaccinated yeah. CDC just came out with a statement before Thanksgiving. If you want to be safe, stay away from unvaccinated people. And, but yet we've seen that vaccinated people get COVID too. Yeah. And, and, and vaccinated people can transmit it. So why are they still picking on the unvaccinated? And the point I'm making here is this is going to be the same thing. The Christians are going to be persecuted because the world is going to look at that and they're saying, if you would only bow down to this Antichrist, we'd have peace. It's all because of you. So, so the Christians are going to be the ones persecuted through this. And when the fourth seal opens and a quarter of the world is destroyed, most of them are going to be Christians. There might be some th- sympathizers, but the, well, were you going to say something, Mike? Well, it's kind of interesting that you, when you bring out the vax and all that stuff. 
And then it talks about there'll be antichrists and many false antichrists will be many. And uh, when you look at it in that realm, it's not necessarily going to be in your face. I'm thinking, so just a, a, a thought, that it may not necessarily be in your face of a guy on a pulpit who's teaching wrong theology. That's true. But it's in the systems of it, like what we see with the vaccinations, bow down. Uh, you see it with bow down to Caesar, mm-hmm. bow down to all these leaders, bow down to Hitler, whoever it may be. These are all a form of antichrist in a sense because they're making everybody conform. And if you don't conform, you're the outsider. And we see that more and more with everything that's happening. Uh, I think it's in a world scale we see it now because now that, you know, eventually it's going to be the, the monetary system, cash is no good, and if you're trading goods, that's going, away that's going to be illegal to trade goods. It's going to consider it the black market if you're not using the system. Yeah, and I've got to be careful with using the vaccination as, a, as an example because it's not only Christians that didn't refuse the vaccination. And there are many Christians who are vaccinated. So I'm not saying that one, one point is God, the, the other point is not. I'm just trying to make the parallel that who got blamed for the, for the COVID? Well, you unvax people. That's who's to blame. Uh, and, and I think the same thing is going to be here. Antichrist is going to set up his government, and it's going to initially start out peaceful. But when we see, if we're there, if we see this is the Antichrist, and it's going to be obvious to us because remember, Jesus said, or uh, Paul said, you are not in darkness. He says, yes, he's coming like a thief in the night, and he'll destroy many, but you, friends, are not in darkness that you'll be taken like a thief in the night. So we're not in darkness. We're going to see this and we're going to recognize it because why? We have discernment through the Holy Spirit. And he's going to have our eyes opened and we're going to see what's going on and we're going to refuse to comply. Uh, And then we're going to be blamed. Go ahead, Sam. That's why it comes slow in stages. Stages. That's why it comes in stages. Yeah, some of the stages. Yeah. The question of the wheat. I mean, it's it's all about the election of the church. It's about Mm -hmm. sifting out those which are not currently in Ecclesia but are in the world and as this goes on you're going to see those and you will see I believe you're going to see a time when when this happens those that are in the church that are not of the church will fall away very fast and at the same time those who are in the world which are not currently in the church God is going to call them and this is all about saving the elect at the end of the day it's not about judging the world it's about saving the church so so on the end day there's no left behind and it, some are more stubborn than others, and some are going to take longer. And this is what it's about. It's, 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 that's it, this, in, in a nutshell. Yeah, and it, judge the world. that's what we talked about earlier, too, is that it's going to be a purging. It's going to be a cleansing. And, just, you know. and, and uh, Paul also said that he, he told the Thessalonians uh, that you'll know the day because the man of, of the lawlessness will be revealed, and there'll be a great apostasy. And I think this is where we'll see the apostasy is through this. People were sitting in churches, but they're not going to be sitting there anymore because they're being persecuted. Uh, it, we're out of time, so I can't tell my other stories here, but we'll finish it up yeah, next when, week. When, when he said incrementally, there is now a chip out that you can put in, in your arm that's like a credit card. Oh, yeah. 
And, and so the chip is coming. Once you get a chip, there's where your money is, there's your medical, everything. And if they push a button, you're cut off. Have you heard of the central bank digital currency? <laughs> <laughs> I already have the chip. It's on my credit card. <laughs> yeah, it's me under your skin after yeah. a while. Well, let's, let's, let's close this up. Pastor John, would you close this in prayer, please? Yes, Father, we thank you for this time of learning your word. And there are many things that we uh, cannot understand currently. And uh, some things, uh, of course, will not affect us as believers. But we thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us to be faithful to uh, to share the gospel so that uh, friends and families and uh, those who do not know you will not have to go through the time of, uh, of, of uh, your wrath. And guide us now, we pray. Thank you for Brother Al's faithfulness. Pray you bless the next hour. As pastor, as he brings the message, and speak to our hearts. May the message make a difference for each of us, Lord. We thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, John.